Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. Let's start out the show by thanking our lovely Patreon contributors. They donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene, where they now have access to over 100 bonus episodes. Wow. And counting. Probably <laughs> more now since we just uploaded three in the past week. Yeah. yeah. Go check it out. We okay. have we have like a bunch of, for the $5 tier, we have like uh, 20 minute episodes that are bonus episodes. And then for the $10 tier and up, each month you get a full length, hour long episode of a completely different show that Desi and I do, which is like crimes that are unrelated to Hollywood yeah. and celebrity. So if you're interested in that, sometimes when people will suggest cases to us, like, oh, I wish you could do this, but it isn't Hollywood, they're often on the Patreon. Yeah. Check so it out. Check it out. I, su- I recommend it. <laughs> Obviously, I'm biased. So these are the people who donated this week. We had Aaron, Caitlin, Richard, Michelle, Chelsea, Tash, Jennifer, Stacy, Amanda, Kara, Carly, KHA, Kimberly, Beck, Thomas, Amber, Sarah, Heather, Hillary, and Hope. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. Okay, Desi. Mm-hmm. This is a two-parter episode. This week is part one. So if you're listening to this first, that's correct. <laughs> We know how part one and two work, Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. This episode was suggested by one of our listeners on our Hollywood Crime Scene Friends Facebook page, and the listener's name is Laura. She posted about this case, which Desi and I had both known about, and this is going to be the story of Evelyn Nesbitt. Now, I did read two different books to research for this episode. One book was called The Girl on the Velvet Swing, Sex, Murder, and Madness at the Dawn of the 20th Century by Simon Batts. And also I read American Eve by Paula Uruburu. So those are the two main sources for this episode. Let's start at the beginning. Evelyn Nesbitt was born Florence Evelyn Nesbitt on December 25th, 1884 or 1885. Her birth date is disputed. Okay. But it's either 1884 or 1885. She was born in Tarentum, Pennsylvania to Winifred Scott Nesbitt, a lawyer, and Florence Nesbitt. When Evelyn was two, her brother Howard was born. Winfield Nesbitt's death in 1893 left Evelyn, her mother, and her brother impoverished. They moved to Pittsburgh, where Florence worked as a dressmaker. When the family moved to Philadelphia in 1899, they were finally able to get back on their feet a little bit financially. Florence got a job at a popular department store. By the age of 14, Evelyn Nesbitt's beauty was attracting attention. 
She caught the eye of artists and illustrators, and she began earning her own money as a model. By 1900, Evelyn and her family moved to New York to seek more modeling opportunities for her. And Florence became her momager. She was an early (laughs) momager. And Evelyn had no problem finding work in New York. She was in high demand among artists and sculptors to pose for them. And at the time, she was paid $5 for each session, which I looked it up. That was the equivalent of $153 today. Oh. So pretty good for a couple hours work for a teen. Yeah. I would say. She was paid even more when posing for photographs. So there was a, I mean, there was a lot of illustration right. models who posed for illustrations like they would have in the newspapers for advertisements. And soon Evelyn's face had appeared across newspapers and magazines all over New York. And right. her face became pretty well known. In 1901, Evelyn was cast as a chorus girl in the musical Floridora, which played at the Casino Theater on Broadway. The show was a hit. It was here that Evelyn met Edna Goodrich, an actress who was a part of the Floridora sextet in the show. That was like a bigger role than Evelyn had. Right. And it was through Edna that Evelyn was first introduced to Stanford White. Stanford was a wealthy architect and patron of the arts who had taken an interest in Evelyn Nesbitt. His influence in New York was strong. He designed the Washington Square Arch and Madison Square Garden, the second iteration of Madison Square Garden. Did you know there was like three different iterations of it? No. Yeah. And it looked a lot different back then. It was way prettier. I'm imagining it does. I don't even really know what it looks like anymore like it's like a cylinder yeah yeah i i get the cylinder part because i guess it's connected to penn station yeah so probably just sort of obscured what that building actually looks like no but this was i'll i'm gonna go into it in, in a bit okay about what it used to look like now he also designed numerous other iconic new york landmarks Stanford, who was known as Stanny to his friends, was a self-made man. He was born November 9th, 1853 in New York City. He began his architecture career as an apprentice for a prominent architect named Henry Hobson Richardson. Henry Hobson Richardson. Okay. When he was 19. Though Stanford had no formal training, his raw talent allowed him to garner success in the architecture world rather quickly, taking on big projects in Massachusetts and New York. After working across Europe for a year, Stanford White returned to New York where he joined with architects Charles McKim and William Rutherford Mead to found the firm McKim, Mead, and White. This is an iconic architecture firm. Okay. Some of their projects include the Brooklyn Museum, the Boston Public Library, Columbia University, and the Natural Museum of History in D.C., among many others. Those are just some of the few really notable landmarks these guys designed. The firm was also tasked with designing mansions for wealthy New Yorkers all across the northeastern coast. They designed also designed Charles Tiffany's mansion in Manhattan. That's the Tiffany and Co. guy. Okay. McKim, Mead, and White's design were known for being lavish and opulent, perfectly suited for the desires of the wealthy railroad barons, steel barons, shipbuilders, and bankers of the time. 
Now, like I mentioned before, Madison Square Garden used to look a lot different back in the late 1800s uh, up until 1926 when it no longer existed. Very opulent, like a Renaissance revival style um, was like the new hot thing at the time. Yeah. By 1890, Stanford White's Madison Square Garden cemented him as one of the most prominent architects in the country. The opening ceremony of Madison Square Garden was a who's who of New York's richest and most important people. The papers urged people to marvel at Stanford's creation, calling it one of the most important and magnificent structures of the city, if not the world. This Madison Square Garden was the second building located at the same site in Manhattan at 26 and Madison. Compared to the first building, Stanford White's design was considerably more intricate and spectacular. This iteration of MSG would remain until 1926. And though Stanford White would continue to have a successful career into the turn of the century, 1890s Madison Square Garden was truly his magnum opus. Evelyn was introduced to Stanford White for the first time in 1901 when she visited him at his four-story home on West 24th Street with her castmate, Edna. Stanford was 47 years old, and Evelyn was 15 or 16. Gross. (laughs) It's really gross. It's so gross. Uh, Do you know what Stanford White looks like? I, I have seen pictures of him. He's got a mustache that's right the that's mustache. really upsetting <laughs> to me uh it's like a very aggressive edwardian mustache yes that was my memory yeah it's awful that's it, that's like the pringles can mustache or like <laughs> it, it, it's hostile <laughs> it's so hostile it's so hostile. imagine approaching any woman with that mustache <laughs> How dare How you? How dare you? How <laughs> dare you? Yeah, it's it's definitely Pringles. It looks exactly like the Pringles guy. Right. Except dark. Like, Ugh. Uh, Just cut it off, dude. He doesn't look that unattractive, but the mustache is disgusting. Yeah. And the also trying to hit on 15-year-olds <laughs> is also quite disgusting. Yes. I mean, that mustache is a red flag for pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. 
Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. At the home that day was Stanford's friend, 35-year-old Reginald Ronalds, a wealthy man about town who allegedly worked on Wall Street. During lunch, it was Reginald who caught Evelyn's attention because he was younger and better looking than Stanford. Mm. So I'm sure Evelyn was looking at the two like, well, I definitely want to talk to that guy more. And he doesn't have a mustache. And he doesn't have a (laughs) creepy fucking mustache. I mean, I don't know. I didn't look him up. Yeah, maybe he does. Maybe he also has that. So Stanford was immediately infatuated with Evelyn, though. He was like day one. He had seen her in her play. Yeah. He's like, I want to meet her. Come to my house. The four sat around and drank champagne after they ate. When Reginald left, Stanford invited the girls on a tour of his home. He led them upstairs to the top floor where they entered a large studio furnished with antiques and red velvet curtains. In the center of the room was a red velvet swing suspended by long velvet cords. Evelyn sat on the swing, and as she swung higher and higher, they played a game where the goal was to break a paper screen hanging above the swing with her foot. Uh I guess that's how people had fun in 1901. (laughs) Get on my my velvet swing. (laughs) And and, and pierce this screen with your foot. That's That's like a technique you do when you're trying to fuck children. Like, get on the swing. It's like a game. It's like a more expensive version of like ball in a cup, which yeah. was probably around popular around that time. Yeah, absolutely. Too. Yeah. Get on my... Look, children, I have look, a swing have a in swing. my house. Isn't that fun? <laughs> I'm not creepy. Evelyn was invited back to Stanford's apartment just a few days later. Also invited for lunch that day was actress Elsie Ferguson and Thomas Clark, who dealt antiques. After they ate, they returned to the top floor to play on the velvet swing again. Jesus. That's like his favorite thing to do. You know what? He spent a lot of money having that swing installed. <laughs> He's going to make the most out of it. How do you not? It's creepy. It's a 
it's creepy. It's creepy to show your swing. The swing should, your sex swing should be private. That's what I'm saying is like, unless you have a sex swing in your house, for some reason it's creepier that it's not explicitly a sex swing because we know that's what he wants to use it for. Right. He's sort of tricking people into thinking it's not what it is. And like, how dare you have people sit their asses down on that thing when you know there's jizz on it? (laughs) I'm not even sure what people do with a sex swing. I've never done the sex swing thing. It sounds hard. It's like a little too athletic sounding for me. (laughs) Like, I feel like you have to have good core strength. Yeah, or and be I just very don't flexible. Have that. Right. Yeah. And I how do two people fit on it? It's in my opinion, it seems like shower sex. Like something you think is interesting and cool and fun, but then in the reality it's like, uh, eh. like It's like more a novelty. <laughs> yeah. If you've done I could be wrong. If you've had sex on a sex swing, please write into the show and if you let us, please let us know we can keep you anonymous if we can read it on uh Friday's mini episode. Yeah. Please write in hollywoodcrimescene at gmail.com. We would like to know your opinions about sex on a sex swing. And why it's good. If you've done it. Only if you've done it. Yes. I only want to hear from people who have done it. And I would like to to know, like, maybe there's something they're doing that I'm not aware of. Like, I'm just thinking of penetration. Educate us. So do you just stick it in and then swing? That's what Do you I picture. Sit there? It's like a group, a team effort. You're swinging together while you're fucking. And why does that make it better? Right. What is the thing that makes it better? I mean, you're not sitting on someone's dick and sliding down a slide. <laughs> like you don't have a sex slide. Like right. why? I don't know. Tell us. We want to know. Evelyn's mother, Florence, met with Stanford, and he said that his interests in her daughter were purely to help advance her career. Mm. He said he was a patron of the arts with investments of many theaters around New York, as well as connections, and he could help her make a name for herself as an actress. I mean, saying you're a patron of the arts in this context is very Epstein to me. It's like, I was thinking when you read this, it's like, some things never change. Like, yeah, there's still these people trying to convince these momagers that they can help their daughters be famous, like these gross old guys. Like... And people still fall for it? It's a tale as old as time. It really is, yeah. Florence Nesbitt was a trusting woman, and she took Stanford at his word. She also just wanted the best for her daughter. After raising two kids as a single mother in poverty, why would she not want to take this help offered to her by a wealthy man with connections? Right. That was the other thing, is he was preying upon... People who were struggling. People who were struggling financially. Stanford paid for Evelyn and her mother to live at the Audubon Hotel on Broadway. He also paid for Evelyn's younger brother, Howard, to attend military school in the Pennsylvania country. I'd be pissed if I was the brother. Be like, hey. Also, that seems really like sketch, like get rid of the brother. Right. Like maybe he'd be more suspicious or something. That's true. I don't know. One more person to deal with. Right, but it's true. That's a bum deal. Yeah. To get sent to military school. Like they get to live in a hotel on Broadway. Not even like cool boarding school, but military school. That's the worst kind of school. (laughs) At least it would be fun if it was just like some cush boarding school where everyone's getting high. Yeah. Like drinking absinthe. I don't know what they did back then. Opium. (laughs) Opium Opium and absinthe. That sounds like a blast. Yeah. So he got a bum deal. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Stanford was happy to pay for anything that the Nesbits needed. 
When Florence Nesbitt expressed that she wished she could visit some friends back in Pittsburgh, Stanford bought her a train ticket. And Stanford graciously offered to look after Evelyn, her daughter, while she was away. Aww. What a nice guy. Yeah. He's just going to look after her while she's yeah. away. They're going to swing. Yeah, just like kid stuff. <laughs> Stanford would pick Evelyn up at the hotel and take her to the theater every night for her performances. He also rented an apartment at Madison Square Garden to throw parties at. Evelyn was invited, of course. Late one night, after the party had ended, Stanford told Evelyn that photographer Rudolf Eichenmeyer wanted to take her picture. She agreed, and she posed for him in a silk kimono that Stanford brought. Stanford was present for the shoot, of course. After the shoot, Stanford invited Evelyn to attend a party he was hosting at his home on 24th Street. She could come over after her performance of Floridora. But when Evelyn arrived around 10 o'clock that night, she was surprised that no one else was there. Stanford told her, gee, I can't believe no one else showed up for the party. Right. Normally my parties are packed. But this one? No. No one showed up. (laughs) I invited like 100 people and so weird that not one person showed up for my parties with free-flowing champagne and food and... At my big house. Yeah. So weird. So Evelyn was disappointed because she was looking forward to these really fun society parties that Stanford threw. So she said, shall I go home? Stanford said, no, we'll have a party all to ourselves. He led her into the dining room and suggested they eat something. After they ate, Stanford suggested that they take a tour of the other rooms in the house that she had not seen yet. He led her into a large room on the third floor with a grand piano. Stanford then led Evelyn up a narrow flight of stairs and into a room that was wall-to-ceiling mirrors. Ugh, what a nightmare. (laughs) That's scary. That's really scary. I don't want to enter the room of an old rich guy where it's just mirrors. It's like a horror film. Yeah, what's your intention there, dude? Also, who wants to see themselves from every angle like that? Not me. (laughs) It created a dazzling infinity effect. Ugh. Evelyn sat on a green velvet couch in the room and continued to sip on the champagne that Stanford had been supplying her with. Stanford then motioned to a doorway that was covered by curtains in the room. This door led to another secret, smaller room. Too many secret rooms. (laughs) (laughs) What's your game, dude? Yeah. Inside that room was a big four-poster canopy bed in the center. Stanford handed Evelyn a glass of champagne as she sat on the edge of the bed. She sipped it and told Stanford that it tasted bitter. But he insisted that she better finish it up. He's like, this is good champagne. You just don't know what good champagne tastes like. Ew. He didn't say that, but he it was, was like, like, he was insisting, like, you better finish that, like, young also, lady. Also, she's probably like, I want to be adult. Yeah, she's yeah. 16 years mm-hmm. old at this point. It wasn't long before Evelyn fell unconscious. Ugh. And when she came to, she was lying naked on the bed. Stanford was lying next to her, and he was also naked. Ugh. Evelyn let out a scream. Stanford told her not to cry and that it was all over. He told her how beautiful and young she was. She screamed again when she saw the blood left between her (sighs) legs. Stanford told her that she mustn't tell anyone what happened, that this was their secret. 
Evelyn returned to her room at the Audubon Hotel, where she lied awake, unable to sleep for the rest of the night. The next day, Stanford came to see her. He approached Evelyn as if he were slightly ashamed, but he told her not to worry, reassuring her that what had happened was perfectly normal. He told her that all of his friends and acquaintances did this kind of thing. What? He told her that all of her friends from the show did these kinds of things. But the important thing, he said, was that no one talked about it ever. She didn't want to be a gossip, now did she? (gasps) Evelyn agreed not to say a word to anyone, especially her mother. Now, I want to say, like many victims of abuse, Evelyn convinced herself that what had happened wasn't so bad and that it was, as Stanford said, maybe completely normal. Evelyn continued to see Stanford after the rape. And I also want to note that that is more common than you think, than you would think. People, this is another case of someone going back to their abusers. Right. Especially when there's like a financial aspect to it that she feels like her family is dependent on her to maintain this relationship. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And this is her first sexual experience she's had is an assault by a man who's much older than her. He's telling her lies that this is totally normal and that everyone does it. He's a predator. He's a a predator and he knows exactly what he's doing. So she had convinced herself, yeah, I guess it's normal. Okay, I need to push that down and it wasn't so bad. Buck up. He's a nice guy. He's taking care of my family. Right. So she continued to see him after the rape. She continued to attend his parties at the Madison Square Garden apartment after her performances went on, and she just pretended that everything was okay. Evelyn still did enjoy hanging around New York's rich and famous. Among those in attendance at Stanford's party were among those in attendance at Stanford's parties were Ethel and Lionel Barrymore. Also in attendance at Stanford's parties was Charles Dana Gibson, whose illustrations of his ideal female American beauty at the turn of the century coined the term Gibson Girl. Evelyn would go on to pose for Gibson in 1903 for his illustration titled Woman, the Eternal Question. Evelyn ended up growing attached to Stanford White, and they entered into a sexual relationship. Though he was... Though she was still staying at the Audubon Hotel, she spent most of her time with Stanford at his homes and at his parties. Back at his home on 24th Street, they would have sex on one of his tiger skin rugs. He also had a lion skin rug. Why is he so disgusting? There's something about his house combined with like who this guy is that just makes it like so obvious that he's a fucking creep. Yeah. I mean, he's like up there. Remember how Jeffrey Epstein also had weird shit in his house? Yes. Didn't he have like a chandelier made of like doll heads or something? I can't remember. (laughs) I can't remember. Yes. It was something like that. Sometimes she would swing from the velvet swing completely naked as he watched on in awe. Evelyn would even miss Stanford terribly when he went away to Europe on business. According to her memoir, Prodigal Days, once while Stanford was away, she found his little black book. Inside was a list of names of other girls, including many that she had acted alongside with in Floridora. And next to each name was their birthday. She wondered if he was giving gifts to these girls, and maybe more. Evelyn knew that she couldn't confront Stanford about this because she was afraid of losing him, but she was still upset at the idea of him seeing other girls. 
even though she herself did see other men. In 1902, Evelyn was cast as Vashti in The Wild Rose on Broadway. Now, this was a very small part, but she got a lot of press for the show, and she was kind of billed as this up-and-coming ingenue, this actress. She had like a two-page spread in the New York Herald that had all these like glamour photos of Uh her in it. This was actually only her second production that she had ever even acted in. She was not necessarily an up-and-coming actress, but she was kind of like an up-and-coming celebrity, right? I guess. Like, because her face was known yeah. in the papers and the magazines. The papers even gossiped about details of the strict contract that she had allegedly signed with the show's producer, George Letterer. The Wild Rose was not successful, like Floridora was, and its run ended after only four months. John Barrymore met Evelyn at one of Stanford's parties. He had seen the Wild Rose and was entranced by her. At the time, Evelyn was 17 and John was 20, and they began hooking up. Now, this was obviously a much more age-appropriate relationship. And John Barrymore is, like, hot, right? Yeah. I mean... Yeah. Stanford had already resented John Barrymore, and it wasn't enough that he was young and handsome and fun... But he had defaced his Madison Square memorial arch. So he like had already had this grudge against him. Wait, how did he deface it? I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Now atop the arch was a statue carrying a sword. After a night of drinking, John climbed the arch and stole the sword, and then he paraded down Broadway with it. (laughs) He seems fun. (laughs) He was like this fun guy, and this drove Stanford White nuts because he was like the opposite right. of him. He was young, carefree. He was a party boy. He was like a talented guy. He had, didn't have any money at the time. Right. He had no money, but he had something that he didn't. Yeah. And he was like hot. I mean, Stanford seems really, besides all the other horrible things, kind of like uptight and not fun. Yeah. Like, I think he puts on this, like, I'm a fun guy. Cause yeah, he has, he has parties. Money. He's like the type of person who has parties, but always sits, like, moping in the background because he knows no one really likes him. They're just there because he's rich. Totally. Even though he has a swing, I just don't think he's fun. Like, he, <laughs> he thinks his money is a personality. Yeah. He's that guy. Like, he's only getting what he has because he has money. Right. And he's, he knows that deep down. Exactly. When Evelyn began to fall in love with John, Stanford was not having it. He held an emergency meeting with Florence Nesbitt to warn her about her daughter running around with a wild actor with no money. Stanford had to nip this in the bud before they got married. He suggested to Evelyn's mother that they send her to an all-girls school in a remote part of western New Jersey. He would pay for it, of course. Look, you know she's too young for you. If you try to send her to an all-girls school. (laughs) Like, that's how you know. Right. I mean, come on. Come on, dude. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
But everyone was shocked when Evelyn agreed to go to the school. She's like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I can get an education. She at the time was feeling burnt out on her acting career because of the dismal reviews of the last few shows she had done. She wanted to change a pace. And in the fall of 1902, Evelyn began her first semester at school. She enjoyed life in the beautiful countryside and at the school with other girls. And for the first time in a while, she was living in anonymity. She wasn't known at the yeah. school. She was like famous in New York, but this was in rural Pennsylvania, I mean, right. New Jersey. And it's a different time period. Yeah. Like now you could, you could do that back then. Absolutely. Now we would know who it would be like Lindsay Lohan's here because <laughs> everyone knows everything right. across the world. Yeah. In January of 1903, when Evelyn came down with appendicitis, Florence got a call from the school and wanted to rush over to see her daughter as quickly as possible. A man who had known Evelyn from New York named Harry Thaw happened to be with Florence Nesbitt that day, so he offered to drive her to see her daughter. Florence called Stanford White to let him know what was going on, and he sent for a doctor from New York to care for Evelyn at the school. Evelyn had a successful operation, but was advised by this doctor that she needed to return to New York so that he could keep an eye on her. While she was recovering in a private hospital room that Stanford had paid for, Evelyn received many visitors, but not one from John Barrymore. (gasps) He had met and began dating another woman shortly after she'd left for school. Mm. One man who did frequent Evelyn's hospital room was Harry Thaw. And he came bearing gifts and flowers. Harry Thaw was a 31-year-old socialite who loved to spend and always lavished his girlfriends with expensive gifts. He loved to party, and he made yearly trips to Europe. Harry's money came from his father, William Thaw, who had struck rich in the freight industry. He had also been an early investor in the Pennsylvania Railroad. And from there, he just continued to grow his wealth like wealthy people do through property and through coal and fucking stocks from the railroad. Right. This guy was fucking rich, Desi. At the time of his death in 1889, he was worth $12 million, (gasps) which in today's money is over $336 million. Whoa. And this is like after he'd given a bunch of money to charity before Mm -hmm. he died. Like he... This guy was fucking loaded, and the money would not stop pouring in even after his death because of the railroad Mm -hmm. stock and and the land that he owned as well. Now, unlike his siblings, Harry was a bit of a bad boy. He was the bad boy in the family. Like, if this was 2007, he would have been all over the tabloids. Yeah. That's the kind of guy Harry was. He did poorly in school and was expelled from college. He went to another school, but left after one semester. Then he went to Harvard, his third school, but he basically just drank and partied the whole time, so he was expelled. They were like, maybe that behavior's okay at UC Santa Barbara. (laughs) Not at Harvard, sir. Seriously. You know they must be partying a lot when they're that rich and get expelled. Because they want to keep that money. Yeah. I mean, that's how bad his behavior was at school, is they were like, it's not even worth it. Yeah. Not even worth it. It was then that Harry realized he didn't need school or a job because he was rich. It's funny how long it takes them to realize. (laughs) (laughs) And he was, you know, earning a ton of money annually from all the railroad stock. Right. Each child, and this guy, the father, William Thaw, he had a lot of kids, and just from the railroad stock alone, they were earning $80,000. Each kid was earning $80,000 annually, which is over $2 million today. 
Right. That's just sitting on their ass money. Yeah. In February of 1903, Harry asked Evelyn to come to Europe with him and explore the continent in luxury. Florence was invited to come as her daughter wouldn't be able to travel alone with a man because she wasn't married to him and it would have been a scandal. Right. But she was hesitant to go. She had recently reconnected with the man she knew from Pittsburgh and was planning on marrying him. She didn't want to be away from him for the several months that they would be in Europe. She consulted with Stanford White and asked him what she should do. Oh, boy. This guy... It's like everyone's life coach, and he's like the worst guy, the last guy you want to be a life coach. He's awful. Stanford told Florence Nesbitt that Harry had a bad reputation and he had a temper. He told her that he was into heroin and cocaine and that he practiced BDSM with sex workers. Ooh, sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) He sounds fun. He sounds hot. Yeah. It's my kind of guy. Harry. Harry. He said that he had been banned from several of the clubs in New York. Mm. And these weren't like dance clubs. These were like hoity-toity rich fuck clubs. So So it's it's probably really easy. I mean, he sounds like a cool guy. I love him. You know? (laughs) Would you rather hang out with this guy or with Stanford White? I mean, it's not even a question. And this guy's way cuter. And he probably knows how to do something with the swing. (laughs) Harry knows how to fuck. Yeah, Harry does. Stanford's just a fucking pervert. Yeah. And not in a good way. He's a pedophile. Harry told Evelyn that the rumors about him were untrue, and Evelyn told her mother that his bad reputation was all a lie. Evelyn was able to convince her mother that Harry was a good man, and she agreed to go on the trip to Europe after her wedding in Pittsburgh. The two women would meet Harry there. Evelyn and her mother boarded a ship bound for Europe in late May of 1903. Stanford gave them some cash just in case they got into any trouble with Harry. I love how he just like he has to have some kind of control yeah. over every situation. Right. It's like he has to be tethered to these women, whether it's getting the doctor for Evelyn when she had appendicitis, putting her up in the hospital room. Right. It's like it's control and it's also like trying to always present that he's this good guy. Like, why would I be a predator and, and creep if I'm giving you money to save yourself? Like Exactly. Yeah. It's definitely, he, he wants to create a dependence. Yeah. He needs them to be dependent on him. He told Florence to keep an eye on her daughter throughout the trip. In Paris, Harry took Evelyn to all the best museums, the best couture houses for shopping, and they mingled with French society and European royalty. One night, Harry asked Evelyn to marry him, and she hesitated and couldn't give him an answer. He asked her if the reason she couldn't marry him was because of Stanford White. And that's when Evelyn broke down into tears. She then spent the whole night until the morning telling Harry everything about her relationship with Stanford for the last two years. And for the first time, she had told someone that Stanford had raped her. Ooh. This was her first time telling anyone. Damn. She told him the story of waking up naked and bleeding next to Stanford as he, after he had drugged and raped her. And this left Harry furious to the point of tears. Evelyn told Harry that she had been afraid to tell him or anyone for that matter because she didn't want to be thought of as damaged goods. Mm. But Harry told her that he loved her just the same. Florence Nesbitt grew tired of being the third wheel on their Euro trip, so she bounced back to New York. And Harry and Evelyn continued traveling throughout the fall. In October, they returned to Paris. And by that time, 
Evelyn had found out that Harry had told people about the rape. <gasps> now, I found out how he told people about the rape, and it was basically like he wrote in a guest book at some museum or something, like Stanford White is a rapist. Is a fucking rapist or something. And it basically the gossip around society traveled fast. And pe- there were already rumors in New York about Stanford. Why is he hanging around this 16-year-old girl so much? Right. Why is he so... Are they dating, you know? Like, it's weird. They're dating. Like, what's going on there? Okay. So then the gossip mill and the rumor mill just started. And like... So even though he didn't specify her I'm not sure if he specified her or not. I think it was more just Stanford. People put two and two together. Yeah. So Evelyn was upset. That yeah. her story had leaked. And obviously for good reason. She said that to him in confidence. And Florence Nesbitt ended up finding out through an acquaintance, not even a close friend, oh, shit. that Stanford had raped her daughter. Ugh. So Florence confronted Stanford, but he, of course, denied it. He said it was nothing more than a vicious rumor created by Harry to get back at him. He said, Harry's mad that... I had, you know, I, he's banned from the clubs that I still go to. He's jealous. And even though I don't think Harry should have betrayed Evelyn that way, I do think it's pretty hot that he would put it in like guest books. (laughs) 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 Like if he, if she had, if he had gotten her permission, that would, what a way to like reveal someone's character. Just like putting that Stanford White as a rapist in these like museum sign in books. That's kind of a cool move. Yeah. I mean, I just wish Evelyn was in on it too, but that's like the original Twitter, like putting someone on blast on Twitter. Oh yeah, totally. And then you delete it, but someone screen grabbed it (laughs) too late. (laughs) So, Evelyn returned to the States alone in October 1903 because Harry stayed back in Paris for the next few weeks. In time, Evelyn forgave Harry because she was refocusing her energy on returning to acting. Did she accept his marriage proposal or no? No, she didn't. Okay. She told him... She wasn't ready. And he was like, well, I still want to marry you regardless. Right, okay. She wasn't ready. She ended up running into Stanford again in November, and at that time they hadn't seen each other since May. They began hanging out again. Stanford cautioned Evelyn about Harry Thaw. He told her to be careful because he was addicted to morphine. I mean, I thought it was cocaine and heroin. Yeah, so just he liked opiates. (laughs) Or cocaine. Right, cocaine. Uh, Anyway, he was a dirty drug addict. That's what Stanford was telling Evelyn. But Evelyn said, that's not true. I never saw him do drugs. And she I was w- with him for a long period of time. I was literally I mean, with him every second of the day yeah. in, in Europe. Yeah. You don't think he could have scored over there? He would have easily scored. He's rich. Yeah. I mean... Come on. So Stanford was all, we'll ask anyone. And he had her meet one with one of his friends, Broadway show producer <laughs> Charles Dillingham. Ask anyone. Here's my friend that I paid who will tell you what I want him to say. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah. And of course he brings like the Broadway show producer because Evelyn is just trying to get back into yeah. acting. No, he's such a piece of shit through and through. He's so manipulative. Mm-hmm. Like he is high level yeah. manipulation. So he, Charles, told Evelyn stories about how Harry would prey upon young actresses and then tie them to the bed and whip them. The nerve. And that he said that Harry would pay these girls to keep quiet. And that's where we're going to stop. Oh, I know that's abrupt, but (laughs) I literally, it was like three in the morning while I was writing, and I'm like, I better go to sleep. (laughs) But you know what? 
there's a lot more to this story. I was going to stop uh, earlier at when Evelyn told about the rape, the rape but I kept writing last okay. night. Anyway, <laughs> this is a long story. I told Desi it might be three ep- three episodes, but I don't think she wants to do three episodes. So I mean, it's up to you. I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, there, there's like a thing about this story is like I just the history of it, like the history of this time period in New York was really interesting to me. I was reading about like just reading about Madison Square Garden and right. was interesting to me. So I kind of went down a few rabbit holes. Yeah. Researching it is this. interesting. And there's still a lot more to the story that's pretty wild. Yeah. So definitely stick around. Okay. Uh, I mean, maybe, I know I will. <laughs> look, you have to. You literally have to stick around for this. I'm not going to tell this story to my cat. Okay. We will. Um, we promise. Yeah. So next week is part two of Evelyn Nesbitt. Find out what she had to say to that Broadway producer. I know that's not the most exciting cliffhanger, but there's more to come. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's and it. that's it. Bye. Bye.